Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Tyson Bibb. A special welcome to the guests and visitors for joining us this day. It is a beautiful sunny day that we have today. And this is the first of the historic Gesema Sundays in the church here. This being set to a Gesema. And these uh, funny sounding names all correspond to numbers. This one being that we are approximately 70 days from Lent. Next week will be Sexton Gesema, so then 60. And then the following week after that, Quinto Gesema, 50 Sundays from Lent. Now, obviously, in a week we have seven days, not 10. So there's a little bit of uh, massaging of the timeline, if you will. But these uh, come to us as a sort of pre-Lent season to prepare us for that great season of repentance where we walk with Jesus through the valley of the shadow of, the, of death as he takes our sin upon himself on the cross and then ultimately to the great rejoicing of Easter morning. As it is now then, Septuagesma Sunday, we begin this journey. I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin to the Focus on Christ section, which is a summary of today's readings. The people of Israel contended with the Lord in the wilderness. They were dissatisfied with his provision. In the same way, the first laborers in the vineyard complained against the landowner for the way which he provided them. They charged him with being unfair, but in reality, he was being generous. For the Lord does not wish to deal with us on the basis of what we deserve, but on the basis of his abounding grace in Christ. The first, that is, those who rely on their own merits, will be last. For they were overthrown in the wilderness, St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But the last, those who rely on Christ, will be first. For Christ is the rock. He is the one who was struck, and from whose side blood and water flowed, that we may be cleansed of our sin. We sing in the office of Matins this day, as it begins on page 219, and we now sing the first hymn, number 99. The Old Testament reading for Septuagesma is from Exodus chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we 
in here. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one leaving the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. The Lord have mercy upon us. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand, stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the inheritance. And on receiving it, they grumbled the master of the house, saying, These last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. And do not agree with me for denarius. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to you? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The Lord have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this day comes from the gospel reading which you just heard, verses 13 to 16. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Dear Saints, it's in our epistle lesson today that St. Paul tells us clearly that the events that took place in Holy Scripture, they're written down for our instruction that we might learn from them. So then, what do we learn from these lessons today? I guess if I were to put it bluntly, I'd just say it like this. Not everybody gets a trophy. That's just how it is. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, because of the way our woke world thinks this day, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about participation trophies, right? I mean, those have been common everywhere for some time now. The other runners, they might be offended, or worse, they might be triggered. 
Isn't everyone a winner, Pastor? That's just not fair. Well, the truth is, life's not fair. Not in the least. Not everyone gets a trophy. Anyone who's ever played a competitive sport, they can tell you that this is just not how it works. Everyone getting a trophy or a prize, that is what is not fair. Just watch the Olympics, or don't. There may be three spots on that podium, but there is only one gold medal given. With this in mind, let's take a closer look at the appointed lessons for today, keeping in mind that concept of what is fair and what is unfair. If you want an example of how life is not fair, look no further than the gospel lesson. As always, the context here is helpful in understanding what's going on. You see, before the gospel reading today, Jesus, he's teaching his these parables to his, or he's teaching this parable to his apostles who believe they deserve greater heavenly treasures and better treatment from God because they gave up everything to follow him and had been with him from the very beginning. You see, Jesus had just finished prior to this reading teaching that little children will inherit the kingdom of heaven and that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. However, the disciples are more than just a little troubled by all this. And Peter, as is his way, he spoke up to Jesus and he said, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Well, the Lord's response is this parable about the workers in the vineyard. And really, in your Bible, the editors probably put it in there as the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but it's really far more about the master of the vineyard. But talk about troubling, right? I mean, everybody gets the same wage, even though they, some worked all day and some barely did any work at all. They were probably caught by the tavern there close to the end of the day. Anyone who has ever earned a paycheck knows how wrong this is in principle. And for those of you in school, it's no different. Think about it like this. What if everybody got the same exact grade, regardless of how much or how little they studied or worked or participated, whatever the measure may be? It's not right. It's not fair. But that's where we need to stop for a moment. We need to ask ourselves, is that really what this teaching from Jesus today is about? Is that really what this parable is all about? After all, he says that the master, the owner of the vineyard, in the parable, he plainly tells those upset workers that he was fair in his dealings with them. He gave them exactly what he said he would. He didn't cheat them. He didn't change the rules. He didn't amend their agreement. In fact, we could say that he was fair to everyone involved. The vineyard owner is free to do what he wants with his money, and he agreed to give everyone a denarius, that is, a day's wage. Might even call it a living wage today. Whether they worked all day or even just for a few minutes, he was fair in that he kept his word. And yet we still find ourselves wanting to cry out at the seeming injustice of all of this. St. Paul, he picks up on this in the epistle reading, although he does come at it from a different angle. He points us back to those Old Testament Israelites, and their whining, grumbling, murmuring, their thanklessness. Paul specifically points to how God brought each and every one of them out of Pharaoh's bondage, through the cloud of his glory, through the Red Sea, giving them food and water, and not just any food and water, but heavenly food and water, manna from heaven. Water from the rock. Each and every one of them were recipients of his undeserved grace and love during those years of wandering. And still, they complained. They grumbled. These people who had been freed from slavery in Egypt by the hand of God himself, they lamented that they actually had it better back in Egypt. 
They even went so far as to give God the ultimate slap in the face. They worshipped a false god of their own making, which was cast with the spoil that God had given them from Egypt. St. Paul says that God was not pleased with them, and it's clear why. This is why these same Israelites perished, not just in physical death, but in eternal death, in unbelief. God showed his love and grace to everyone, even those who rejected him all along the way. In fact, you could see that God was unfairly fair to them all. And still so many of them rejected the Lord God. I want you to stop and think on that for a moment this morning. Everything that the Lord did for his Old Testament believers, the guiding of his divine cloud, the passing through the waters of the Red Sea, the man of the water from the rock, all of it. It wasn't the mere act of receiving these gifts or simply participating in and going through the motions that made heaven a guarantee for the Israelites. They were all recipients of God's grace and mercy, but so few finished the race of faith. So few of them held fast to God in faith, which is why so many perished. As we learn from the whole of Scripture, it is only unbelief which condemns. As we hear in Ephesians, indeed it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, those who have the God-given gift of faith in Christ Jesus, those are the ones who are saved. Those who reject God and his grace are not saved. And it's precisely here that we can rightly speak in terms of fairness. That is fairness for everyone, no matter who you are, what your last name is, what you did in high school or college, what your attendance record says, or even what you put in the offering plate. Because St. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, we read that the wages of sin is death. All means everyone. Every man, woman, child. Even the littlest lives still dwelling in their mother's womb. Everyone is a sinner and everyone justly and fairly deserves temporal and eternal punishment for sin in the eyes of God. And remember, folks, sin is not just what you do. It is who you are by nature. We often confess then at the beginning of the divine service that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. That we have that sinful nature which we have inherited from Adam and Eve. Remember, that we are, in fact, children of Adam, and therefore we have inherited his sin and are all sinners. We're dead in our sin and trespasses, just as it says in Romans 5. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. But, as we sang in our sermon hymn that the gospel quickens our souls and gives us life through faith in Christ, St. Paul continues, and he says, But the gracious gift of God is not like Adam's trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of this one man, it is even more certain that God's grace and the gift given by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. This is where the unfair fairness of God breaks through and reveals the gospel. The wonderful gospel reality that he freely gives his grace and forgiveness to everyone, even and especially to those who don't deserve it, which is consequently every single one of us. We don't deserve this, but he gives it to us anyway. Isn't unfairness what mercy and grace are truly all about? Now, remember how those words are defined, right? Mercy is defined as not receiving what you do deserve, and grace is defined as receiving something you do not deserve. I'll say that again. Mercy is defined as not receiving what you do deserve, and grace is understood as receiving something you do not deserve. 
When you think about it, there's nothing fair at all about mercy or grace. And St. John tells us in his gospel that God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son to die, to die for the world, this world full of sinners. That means that Christ died for everyone, for each and every one of you, for every sinner who has ever lived, is living now, and will live. By the way, you want to talk about unfair since we're on this theme. Jesus Christ, the innocent, perfect Son of God, the blameless, sinless Son of God, he died for the sins of the entire world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The innocent died in place of the guilty. The undeserving one suffered our justly deserved wrath and punishment. His body and soul saving blood and water poured forth from his pierced side for everyone. Christ Jesus is the rock that was cleft for us, that we might receive by grace the living waters of his grace. Our Heavenly Father gave to us Jesus. He gave to Jesus all that we deserved, and then God gave to us all that we did not deserve. Luther often talks about this as the happy exchange. All of our sin was given to Jesus on the cross. He took and bore that burden for us, and then we, by grace, receive his righteousness, his holiness. He has redeemed us, bought us back by his blood. That is the very epitome of mercy and of grace. That is God's mercy, grace, and love for you in Christ Jesus. And he delivers that grace and mercy to you right here and right now in his preached word. He delivered it to you in the blessed sacrament of holy baptism where you were washed clean of your sin. And every time he feeds you from this altar, Christ Jesus himself feeds you with his grace and his mercy, the promise of sins forgiven the promise of life everlasting with him. See, when you think about it, God is not fair at all. And that's actually, you know, the best thing ever. All people, including us, are equally unholy and condemned sinners in his eyes. And all people, including us, we are equally saved and redeemed in his eyes through faith in Christ alone. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ has set you free. And still, sadly in this world, so many reject him. So many doubt him. So many turn their backs in unbelief and they harden their hearts toward him. Out of love for sinners, God the Father sent his son to this world so that he would receive the full wrath and punishment for all sin. And all for the purpose that we would receive eternal life with him as a gift of his grace and mercy. Again, despite this, sadly, so many people reject the one true God. But they still seem to want his heavenly prize. Folks, such truth like this, it should grieve us to the heart. That so many people desire what God gives, and yet they hate God. And that's the whole point. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reunited with God. Saved from sin, death, and the devil, that that chasm of sin would not separate us from him, but that we would commune with the Lord forever in paradise. Jesus is the prize we receive by grace. But thanks be to God that God does not operate with our notion of fairness. God be praised that he is lovingly and mercifully unfair to us in the dying and rising of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have much to rejoice over. We rejoice that our life with God is not fair at all. In fact, it's entirely founded upon his grace for us. Again, this parable today is far more about the vineyard owner than it is about those laborers and the wage they received. And so then may this grace of God in Christ Jesus be the font and source, the rock and anchor of your faith, your hope, and your peace. 
And dear saints, also then be in church as you are this day, as regularly as you can be. And if you've been gone for a good long while, come home. Truly, for the sake of Jesus, come home and receive his gifts. Be with Christ Jesus, right where he calls you to be, here in his house, right where he promises to be for you in his word, in his sacraments, in his free gifts for you. Cling to Christ Jesus as you run your race and you make your way through this hostile wilderness that we call life. Your Lord and Savior is here with you in your midst. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is his promise that he keeps time and time again and will always keep. He is the rock cleft for you on the cross. He pours forth the life-giving water of baptism and blood of the new covenant from his pierced side for you. His grace, mercy, and love, they are yours in these same gifts of baptism and his holy supper. Rooted in and fed by these gifts and promises of Jesus, run the race set before you with joy, keeping your eyes firmly fixed on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Run in faith with the consolation of his spirit until your Lord mercifully says that your race is finished, accomplished, and all of it in him and by his grace. So run, rejoice, and ever hold fast in faith to this rock of salvation, your rock of salvation, whose name is Jesus the Christ. In his holy and most blessed name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. To the master of the vineyard, who by his Holy Spirit has called us into his care and whose grace is beyond all telling, that he would keep us from all grumbling, from the evil of envy and from unbelief, and that he would give us contentment and a firm trust that whatever is right and for our good, he will give us. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church, that God would send forth laborers into his harvest and sustain those whom he has sent. For all the faithful, that mindful of God's gracious favor, which he has bestowed upon us in the beloved, we may serve him in our vocations with faithful labor, especially as hearers of his saving word. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the home, that God would work graciously by the teaching and example of fathers and mothers to preserve the faith of children and help them to grow in it until life's end. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the civil authorities, whom God has established on earth to be a blessing, not a burden, that he would enable them to serve with wisdom and integrity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those in need of our prayers, especially Bob Rash, Ron Gibson, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, Ted Phillips, and Bernice White, that God would give them contentment to take what he sends them, going their way confident that whatever is right he will give, since he works all things together for our good, and that God would graciously relieve them of their sorrows. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those who are near to the hour of death, that the Holy Spirit would console them with the saving grace of Christ, which he has won on the cross and given in his word and sacraments, that in their baptismal grace they would ever persist and rejoice in the love of God seen in Christ Jesus our Savior, and that the Lord would preserve all those who are near to death in that one true faith in Christ Jesus. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who commune this day, that though we are entitled to nothing and deserve only wrath, 
we would be bold to ask for everything by grace in Christ, that God would grant us repentant hearts, trusting faith in his promises and unity of confession, and that we would be strengthened through the forgiveness of sins for a life that abandons sin and idleness and lives in joyful service to our neighbors. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your holy word, you have called us into your vineyard. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may labor faithfully in your vineyard, shun sin and all offense, obediently keep your word and do your will, putting our whole and only trust in your grace, which you have bestowed upon us so abundantly. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, once again, good morning and welcome. And as I'm sure you noticed, we're having just a little bit of an issue with the organ this morning. So uh, Hannah played the piano organ for us. Uh, so we'll be looking into that to see if, what the issue is and call somebody that knows far more than I do uh, to get that fixed. Um, our announcements this day, of course, we have Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship here. Uh, tomorrow at 9 a.m. we'll have the second of our Lutheran Confessions reading group classes. Uh, then follow that evening at 7 p.m. where our new member class will begin. And then Wednesday, midweek school confirmation at 3.30, followed by workout class at 6 in the auditorium. And then this Thursday, please note the time and date change, this Thursday at 6 p.m., uh, that is earlier than previous times, at 6 p.m., the Trinity Women's Meeting will be uh, held here at, uh, at church. Uh, just a couple of notes from this past week. Congregation financial reports from the voters meeting, those are available down on the glass case by the sacristy. Um, and again, uh, we have a, a repeat, some greater detail here of uh, what I'd already mentioned regarding the events this upcoming week. And then also a save the date, uh, Saturday, March 5th. This is going to be the first of our Saturday school topics. Uh, and the first one will be family catechesis, teaching the family at home, which is just a way of saying... How do you pass the faith on to your children? Uh, and so we'll be talking about different ways that we do that. I intend for this to be a very practical uh, time of instruction. We're actually going to be doing these different patterns of devotions while we're here so that you can see uh, how it is that they work, how you can do this uh, with your children. There'll be lots of resources available for you to look at from uh, the church library, my own, our children's library. Um, of just all the wonderful things that are out there to faithfully teach uh, Christ to your children, what it is to be a Lutheran Christian, that is a biblical Christian, and to rejoice in these truths of God's word and the grace in and by which we are saved. So I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, Saturday, March 5th, that's at 9 a.m., and it will conclude at 1130. Uh, I don't believe I missed anything. No? All right. Well, that being said, God's peace be with you as you go into this week, ever rejoicing in his grace as a forgiven child of God. I'll greet you at the door.